What's up, everybody? How you doing? My name is John Delray, host of Lombardi Time Brews, here for our midweek chat and catch-up related to all things Green Bay Packers. Obviously, the news of the day, quite pertinent out there, would be one Jair Alexander getting suspended for one game, not by the NFL, not by anybody else, but by the Green Bay Packers. In fact, like I was looking back on it, this is one of the only times I remember the Packers themselves actually levying a suspension, not having it done by the NFL, anything like that. So lots to talk about dissecting the Jair news and what's going on there, as well as the Packers did put out their first injury report of the week as they prepare to take on the Minnesota Vikings. So as we allow people just a minute to get in here to talk Jair, let's go through the injury report first. Yes, it is a Packer injury report, so it is stupid long. Let's get to that first. First of all, the did not practices today. That would be Devondre Campbell, Elton Jenkins. Uh, beyond that, Christian Watson, Dontavian Wicks. Jenkins, uh, they've given him days off, like one day a week for the last few weeks. That's nothing really to be concerned about. Devondre Campbell, Matt LaFleur, said that he's day-to-day at this juncture. Uh, beyond that, in terms of limited participation, you've got A.J. Dillon, Kingsley Anagbare, uh, Aaron Jones, Luke Musgrave made his way back to the practice field today as he was limited. Jonathan Owens, Jaden Reed, Robert Shell, Darnell Savage, TJ Slayton, Koi Walker. And then you've got Emmanuel Wilson, who's actually a full participant for a happy little change. So there you have it, the injury report. Now, let's talk Jerry Alexander. Let's talk Matt LaFleur. The press conference that was for Matt LaFleur as he actually addressed the suspension today. Very comically he actually talked about uh like he answered a few of the jair questions and then he said we're on to minnesota i'm only going to answer minnesota questions and yet bill huber sports illustrated kept pressing uh before lafleur just kind of gave in and then moved on so let's see what everybody has to say i know the news is already plenty out there by now let's see what tyler's got hello tyler jair sounds like he has cte just as behavior sucks out yeah, I don't know about the CTE part, but uh, it's it's getting weirder. Like, you know, and I see your next comment here, too. I don't remember him being weird like that earlier in his career. He, I mean, he's always kind of had that persona. Like, even back in college, like, he had a certain air about him, a certain unorthodox nature, and he's always spoken in that way. Um, but it's becoming... You know, I know this word has some other connotations, but it's the one that comes to mind. But it's becoming more flamboyant in that it's it's more uh, extreme than it has been throughout his career. But he's always definitely walked to the beat of his own drum. Uh, and so uh, this encapsulates it incredibly well. Uh, Steve, I see Jair is suspended. Yes, indeed, he is for one game. Uh, Matt LaFleur did say in the press conference that Brian Gutekunst, LaFleur, Jair, they met this morning, and the belief is that this is going to make their relationship better long term, uh, and they very much look forward to having Jair back next week following his suspension. He did also mention that this is about more than just the coin toss thing. Now, I'm going to be totally frank. I haven't talked about the coin toss thing much on this channel, really, for a couple reasons. One, it was Christmas. You haven't seen me for a few days. Two, after the game, Jair was at his locker and he was talking about what happened with the coin toss thing. And it's just, he basically declared himself a captain on Sunday and went out there and chose the coin toss. And then he almost messed up the coin toss too, which could have cost the Packers uh, a possession in the game before the ref kind of corrected him and Jair corrected his words. 
But Matt LaFleur, and I, I'm, I'm not going to lie. At the time, I was under the impression of like, it's Jair. You can't really trust anything he says in a press conference. Like, this is probably a lot of exaggeration. Nope. Turns out it was real. Jair just straight up made himself a captain, walked down out there, and did it all himself. And LaFleur mentioned today that it is more, or it's about more than just the coin toss situation. It's not directly because of that. It's because of other stuff that's been going on beyond the scenes. What that is, we don't know exactly. LaFleur did mention, though, that it is not in relation to Jair not playing this year or his shoulder injury. He was very careful in his wording to, to kind of dictate that. So, hey, yeah, lots going on there. And a lot that we admittedly do not know. Chris Hand, what's up, Lombardi Brews Nation? Hey, Chris, how you doing? Uh, Tyler saying it comes across as ignorant. Yeah, it's, eh. you know, I was actually just talking to my sister-in-law earlier today um, about how it is very, you know, Jair, I don't want to call it ego or whatever, but Jair has always had this kind of, you know, this, this large persona about him. And I would just say that, you know, that large persona is one thing when you're making all pro teams. It's another thing when you continue talking and yet you're not on the field. And it, you get yourself caught very quickly in this, are you becoming a distraction? Are you um, are you becoming a detriment as the Packers use today in the press release by having this large persona and yet not actively being on the field to help? And then once you cross that line, into your persona carrying you into direct insubordination, yeah, now you're straight up in trouble. Um, and, and that's pretty much what happened here. And there's a lot more. I do have, like, overall conclusive thoughts on this. Maybe I'll get to that in just a minute, but I do want to answer you guys first. Uh, the Rigby Mordecai saying to me, I'm guessing, the almost screwing it up had nothing to do with the position. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm inclined to agree with you there. I don't think it's because, like, Jair messed up his words in the decision. I think it's because of the totality of the situation where Jair basically said, like, I'm just going to make myself a captain today. They're not going to make me one. I'll go do it myself. I'm like, like, that's just, that is acute, direct disrespect, insubordination, whatever synonym you want to put on it. And that is what I think the true kind of straw that broke the Campbell's back was. Uh, as Lafleur mentioned, there's obviously other stuff going on here too. We don't know exactly what, you know, Jair did also seemingly take a shot at the game plan after the game as well, saying you just got to play what's called. Maybe there's more going on with that. But the thing that I'll say too is, you know, Jair has talked in the past about not really talking with Matt LaFleur. Matt LaFleur in past press conferences has shown some frustration towards Jair and not playing. What I think you actually have here is two guys who, I don't want to say they don't see eye to eye, but I think they're very different, and maybe they have difficulty communicating. Because I saw a lot of talk online earlier today when this news just dropped of like, well, a better way for Jair to handle this, if Jair hates Joe Barry, if Jair doesn't want to be in this defense anymore, why didn't he just go talk to the head coach? And then a lot of people responding with, well, maybe he did. But from the sounds of it, Lafleur and Jair just don't communicate. Which, when you have your head coach and the highest paid corner ever not talking, does kind of seem like a bit of an issue. Does kind of seem like Matt Lafleur probably should have taken some steps to correct that when he knew it was a problem. But 
Today, Lafleur said in their meeting, where the declaration of the suspension was handed down, it was Lafleur, Goody, and Jair, that Lafleur was confident that moving forward, their relationship would be that much better. I wouldn't be shocked at all if this morning meeting that occurred today was an airing of the grievances. Jair being kind of allowed or having the opportunity to air a lot of stuff. Lafleur and Goot saying, hey, all right, we've heard you. We get it. But we cannot condone what you did. Here is your consequence. Maybe. Well, I mean, we don't know for sure. But that's that's the way that I'm kind of interpreting all the events based upon what everyone has said coming into this. So let me just catch up here. Commando G-Man, we all felt this was coming. Some stayed. Not stayed, but said. Oh, some said so, while others called those same people insane. You know, the 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 friction the there's been enough weird stuff that it's been eyebrow raising i guess from my personal perspective what i always took issue with was the people saying that jair was purposefully not playing that that i always kind of took issue with because it was clear he was dealing with an injury and i didn't think that the practices of the limited nature I mean, you don't hit in a limited practice and then lafleur eventually said that it did relate some with tackling that's been like the big issue throughout all of this for me. I also didn't like the whole like people trying to say that he wasn't on a sideline when there was picture evidence that he was like, it's just, it's some of these narratives have gotten so out of whack that it's like, they've become unbelievable, but has there still been obvious kind of friction? Yeah, that for sure. Yeah. Uh, but, 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 but Tyler saying that persona is fine when he's an all pro, but since his shoulder injury, 23 games played, Andy Herman has him at a negative grade. I did see that as well. You're 100% right, John. Thank you, Tyler. Yeah, that's such a big part of it, right? Like, you can be confident bordering on cocky when you're out there, when you're playing, when you're not playing. Kind of tougher to, to be that way. Big Al saying with Jerry Alexander being suspended, this should be more ammo for Joe Barry to be fired. The Packers defense is starting to lose the locker room. Changes need to be made. I agree with you 1 million percent, Big Al. It is time. So, like, I kind of look at it this way, right? There were a lot of people saying today, how can you suspend Jair and still employ Joe Barry? Why is there not accountability for everybody? And to me, it really boils down to, here you have, with Jair, an acute, direct case of insubordination. With Joe Barry, you have incompetence and poor performance. Those two situations in any type of workplace are always going to be handled very differently and on very different timelines. For the last couple of weeks, I've been in the camp of, I fully accept Joe Barry is probably gone at the end of the year. With the Buccaneer game, when that happened, I basically said to myself, okay, the defense is utterly failing. If they go out against Carolina, and lose to Carolina, something has to happen now because you just can't allow it to keep going. Well, they wound up not losing to Carolina, but boy, they came really, really close, right? And I think the move should have been made December 26th, 8 a.m. Packers moving on to Minnesota with different leadership in tow and seeing how that goes. Because really, what have you got to lose over these final two weeks? But the defense is suddenly going to get worse than dead last in the NFL in a lot of metrics. So, like, it's, I'm in the fireberry camp, but what Jair did is still very much needing to be 
needing to have consequences, I guess is a better way to say it. But yeah, changes need to be made culturally, performance-wise, etc. And I do think it's incredibly funny too that the offense has absolutely none of this drama attached to it. Like it's, I put this on Twitter earlier. Like the offense is just this happy-go-lucky little bunch that's just like they're all young, they're all trying to figure it out, they're all trying to get better, and they've been great over the last month. And the defense is this all-out dumpster fire. Like you've got heads and tails in the Packer organization right now that is just just upside down. Tyler saying, is Jair in a Kurt Ben Kurt situation? Kurt said on Twitch, he and MLF couldn't be more different, and that led to his departure from GB. I think probably a little bit. I mean, Kurtz was very much related to um to his online persona, right? Like the Packers, Kurtz made it public that the Packers didn't exactly like having a player that posted memes <laughs> that went on Twitch during the season and talked about the season, right? Whereas like AJ Dillon goes on Twitch and stuff, but to my understanding, I've never checked out his channel, but you know, to my understanding, AJ Dillon's a lot more like, yeah, we're here to play games. I'm going to play games. <laughs> like, that's it. Um, so yeah, no, that's very true. The Packers did not like that. And Kurtz made it clear that Lafleur was a large part of that. Jair has basically no online persona in any way, shape or form. But I will say, I think you're, you're, and at least my interpretation is like, yeah, you're kind of on the right track. And that Jair and Matt Lafleur are very, very different people, and that has probably made communication between the two parties very difficult. I don't know as if I'd say strained because I don't know as if they've even tried. I think they're just very, very different people. Lafleur, in some ways, kind of the epitome of professionalism, and then you've got Jair who. I'm not sure he knows the word exists. So, and that probably is made, like they probably speak different languages even really when you look at how each one converses. So, but hopefully this morning meeting has rectified that and they've been able to come to understanding. That is what would lead to the floor coming out in his press conference today saying the relationship will be better than ever. Maybe this is what it was going to take. Maybe this is what it was always going to take to make these two kind of come together. Speaking on Kurt Benkert specifically, I fully appreciate what Kurt does. And I know he's got a million times larger following than me, so I have no business in, in saying anything about him in any way. But I have noticed ever since he came out, kind of like, and he said that stuff about the floor, about how he and the floor didn't really jive. I have noticed that when negativity kind of surrounds the Packers, Kurt will come right out and, and say it, right? But when the Packers are moving offensively in a very positive direction, he generally champions that a little bit less. And I, to me, I just, I do keep in mind when I read Ben Kurt's stuff or hear him talk that there is very much a personal element there for him, yet still attached to the team. And I don't blame him one bit for having that, but I do keep that in mind when listening, reading, kind of observing what he's saying. It's always through a certain lens that, that Kurt seems to speak. And I, I don't blame him. It's just the reality of it. Steve, could or should we trade Jair for first? Well, I have to believe, given what his peak can be, that a trade market for Jair would still include a first. But there's a few kind of things to keep in mind here. One, his cap situation. I didn't look up the exact cap number right before going live, but to trade Jair this early in his 
contract has a massive dead number attached to it. Something, something close to Rogers type dead cap ish. Um, so in reality, financially, does it make sense? No, not even really a little. Packers do not want to burden themselves with another huge cap number. But a lot of player contracts include clauses that if you are suspended due to conduct detrimental to the team, which is what the Packers said, that does void certain guarantees in a contract, thus making it more releasable or tradable. If Jair's contract has that trigger, which we, we don't know, really only the union knows, I believe, then I at least can see the conversation being on the table for moving on from Jair. Ultimately, though, I think the Packers, given Lafleur's comments today, are very much viewing this through the lens of this is our watershed moment. We have expressed to Jair that his conduct is no longer putting the team first. He has aired what is going on on his side of things. This ultimately was the consequence that was unavoidable because of his insubordination. Now we come together and we figure out how to move forward. And we repair the relationship to what it was when we made you the highest paid cornerback in the history of the NFL. That's how I would tend to view this. So I still don't think that they're, um, I don't think that they're actively looking to move him even after this. Rigby Mordecai, if I remember, it was the Florio situation that led to the Ben Kurt departure. I don't remember specifics, but now that you say that, yeah, I do remember Florio being associated with it somehow that there was something with that but yeah i mean definitely it was player inserting themselves in media was not exactly well loved in green bay never has been tyler thank you for the super chat man really really appreciate it john a lot is made of joe barry's poor performance as a dc but what about rich bisaccia this is mlf's third special teams coordinator and not much has changed yeah bisaccia needs more attention Let's say that, um, because still to this day, no matter what metric you look at, be it PFF or uh, DBOA, the Packers are in the bottom third of special teams rankings. Basaccia is basically the highest paid coordinator in large part because of his assistant head coaching title. Like that definitely elevated his pay, right? But nonetheless, Basaccia was brought in to be the savior and the stabilizer of special teams. The thing is, though, Basachi is not this incredible guru. I believe he's a fantastic motivator. I believe that he's a coach that players want to play for. But nowhere throughout his entire career has he had this immaculate, sparkling, top five every single year type finish for special teams. He's always kind of topped out at having his group be in the middle of the NFL. So it never made a lot of sense that he would suddenly coach up a unit that was an absolute disaster to be amongst the best in the NFL. It never tracked with what he had done throughout the entire course of his special teams coordinating career. So he does have to have a more critical eye looked at him because realistically, he's still working on getting them just up to the midpoint, which has basically been Bisaccia's coaching peak in terms of standings. I think he's valued not in being this guru to necessarily elevate that room. I think he's valued from the standpoint of he's an expert motivator and a coach that guys want to play for. 
there's room for that in the coaching staff, right? But I'm not sure that he's the right guy to be a, a special teams coordinator for a unit that obviously still needs help. With that being said, whether it should be or not is a different discussion. I have to believe that Bisaccia's job is very still safe. Joe Barry, I think, is it's close to a guarantee he's gone once the season is concluded. Bisaccia, I think he gets at least one more year. And that's because of the assistant head coaching title. It's because of all the intangibles, whatever. But I wouldn't expect some massive improvement still coming for special teams. It's just not what he does. Steve saying, uh, is there any chance some of the players are unhappy with MLF not firing Barry and blaming them? Yeah, totally. That is totally possible, Steve. And the only thing I'll say is we don't know what exactly is being said behind closed doors. You know, we, we don't know what conversations between the floor and player leadership is going on behind closed doors. It could change the narrative a bit if we knew. But do I believe that some players are upset with the floor for hanging on to Barry? are upset with Lafleur for seemingly throwing them under the bus when we all know the coordinator is incompetent? Yeah, I can totally believe that. The saving grace here is that Lafleur can kind of recoup all of that at the end of the year. And I think the players have to know that's coming too. And that's part of the rationale that I have of, if we all know, Right. If if the players in the locker room, if we sitting here who know nothing, have a reasonable, almost guarantee that Barry will be let go, then why not just do it? Like I, I maybe the rationale is because they don't have someone else to hand the position to. But last year when Barry had to miss a game, I think it was because of COVID or something, he had to miss a game. They handed off play calling duties to some of the assistants. Do that again for two weeks because it's obvious what's growing, what's festering under the surface now is more toxic, is more like this slap on the wrist for Jair, suspending him for one game. I don't mean to say slap on the wrist. That's not the right words. But this this consequence for Jair isn't going to fix the overall growing culture problem on the defensive side of the ball. It's not going to fix Devondre Campbell's comments or it's not going to fix like, uh, yeah. All the things that are going on. Quay Walker making comments even a couple weeks ago following the all-defense meeting. So the only thing that really can at this point seems to be Lafleur making the move that everyone feels like they got to move. I just don't know what's stopping him. And I know, like, the easy easy thing is because Lafleur's a wuss. Because, like, like, I will say, okay, I, I said this on Twitter too. I will say this. I believe fully that if Brian Gutekunst were the head coach of the team, Joe Barry's already gone. It seems to me that the Packers organization purposefully have things set up so that Brian Gutekunst can be the bad guy. And Matt LaFleur, silently co-signing on Goody's stuff, can still be the player advocate, the good cop. Right? You've got the good cop, bad cop dynamic. I believe fully that Gutekunst is willing to make very difficult decisions. We've seen it with Jair or uh, with Rodgers other times. I'm not sure that when you reverse the dynamic that Lafleur has to be the one to make the tough call and fire someone. I'm not sure that that bears the same results. And that is one of the great downfalls of Lafleur's coaching tenure. No doubt about it. Big Al saying, ain't going to lie. Ever since Mike Pettin left the Packers, Darnell Savage played drop ever since Joe Barry became DC. Yeah. Yeah. And the thing with Darnell is he, even under Pettin, like he was still inconsistent. 
it was just that that last year under Petten was Darnell's best year in the NFL. And then all of a sudden, since Barry, it's it's been even more inconsistent to the point where him just being stable this year was kind of an achievement. It's hard to hold that solely against Barry because like every player, depending on their coach, what scheme they're in, etc., is going to have some variance in their level of play. And I don't know as if Darnell Savage was, you know, the a big enough of a priority in the defense to base a higher around or to say he should be a priority, um, especially given his inconsistencies under Petten. But yeah, there's no denying what you're saying here. Savage has gotten increasingly inconsistent, overall probably worse on a level of play since Joe Barry's come in. No, no doubt about that at all. Peter, bonjour. Hope you spent a Merry Christmas with your family. I did. Thank you. It was wonderful. Hope yours was as well. How Matt LaFleur dares say Jair's conduct is a big mistake. Well, he remains stubbornly loyal to the We must get rid of Barry and Eva. Peter? Peter? All right. So here's what I'm going to say. I said this earlier. I'm going to repeat it quick. Direct, acute insubordination, which Jair did with the coin toss, which apparently Jair has been doing more of behind the scenes, is very different than incompetence and poor performance. Those are very, very different things in workplace culture. We all know that, right? They are going to be handled differently and on different timelines. Generally, you handle poor performance like an evaluation. If you just straight up are insubordinate, that's handled right there with a harsh consequence on the spot. And that's what we're seeing play out. Barry's evaluation is coming. But that does, even if Barry is completely and utterly incompetent, it does not allow or excuse Jair to just do whatever he wants. And that was the issue here. So, I, and I will say too, since you brought it up, I'm not yet in the, I understand Matt LaFleur's deficiencies. I understand his weaknesses, but the offense is performing at a level. And Jordan loves development very much with that. That says LaFleur will continue to be safe. Because the last thing Jordan Love needs right now is a whole new scheme on the offensive side of the ball and a whole new coaching staff to work with. Tyler. Oh, Tyler, thank you, man. I really appreciate it. Huge super chat. Thank you, Tyler. I feel we are trending in the same direction as an organization as we were under 12, and that is having a top 10 offense, mediocre defense, bad special teams. As an organization, why can't we learn from the past? It is weird. Like, different franchises have different tendencies we've seen it forever the chicago bears fans are sitting there going why can't we get a quarterback that can throw for four thousand yards we've been around a hundred years green bay's done it like 27 times we've never done it like for whatever reason different organizations seem to have different traits and what you just mentioned top 10 offense mediocre defense bad special just seems to be a trait in the organization there is hope. I agree. Looks like it's trending that way for sure. I agree that it looks uh, like we're heading towards that for a whole new generation of football. There is hope, though, that the floor, it's viewed mostly when they hired the DC last time, right? There were three finalists. He offered the job to Jim Leonard, who turned him down. Then it was Joe Barry and Ajiro Evero. He picked the wrong one, but he had a chance to get it right. At least the people he interviewed were certainly on the right track. 
I guess we just have to hope that this gets corrected that way. The other thing that I will say is, after so long of doing things, right? Because Brian Gutekunst is a student of the Ted Thompson tree, who was a student of the Ron Wolf tree. So there's some deviations going all down the tree there, but still students of the same school of thought of GMing, right? There maybe needs to be a critical conversation about what those draft habits are, what the player acquisition habits are for the defensive side of the ball. Maybe it's time to rewrite that book because it's no longer working. The other thing with the defense going on, in my opinion, is Rich Bisaccia came in and we immediately saw players acquired and we said, well, that's a Rich Bisaccia guy. The only reason he's on the team is because that's a Rich Bisaccia guy. We've said that a hundred times in the last two years. But how many times have we looked at a guy on the defensive side of the ball and said, that's a Joe Barry guy. That's why he's here. That's a Joe Barry guy. Almost never. Because the player acquisition doesn't seem to match the scheme that the defensive coordinator is running. So it's almost like if we want to fix this problem, the front office needs a strong defensive leader to stand in there and assert for what they need. Because right now, Barry routing through Lafleur to Goot isn't working. And part of that is because I'm not sure Matt Lafleur fully understands what kind of defense he wants. So just like Bisaccia came in, and I'm not saying Bisaccia is perfect because we just talked about that, but he, he's got his fingerprints all over the roster. The Packers need an equivalency on the defensive side of the ball to truly get the defense that they want. And so, yeah, and that's the some of the fixes that have to occur, no doubt. Peter, I got the feeling Mark Murphy could have had the guts to fire both Barry and MLF before he tires. Uh, yeah, that retirement's coming. We're about a year and a half out before his uh, board-mandated retirement at age 70. Um, I'll tell you what. I, I actually am inclined to disagree a little bit here, Peter. I think Murphy is more likely to not do anything to let his successor make the call on whether somebody should be fired, re retained, whatever. Uh, that strikes me as I don't think Murphy is going to make a whole bunch of declaratives and then just bow out. Doesn't strike me as that. I think he's more likely to, you know, kind of tread and then let the successor make some of the big calls. Big Al, it's just said the Packers defense have a talent to be a top 15 defense where there are glimpses of it. For example, the playoffs game versus the 49ers or that Bears opener in 2019 versus the Bears. Yeah. And that's the thing. It's like that's part of what leads me and a lot of other people to say that the parts are greater than the sum because you can see the individual performances. You can see when they work together as a unit in an appropriate way, it's actually really good. We just get it so rare. Like you just mentioned two games the last like three, four years. The talent does seem to be there, but how it's being utilized is confusing for sure. Tyler saying for 12's entire career, we just said, God, if we only had a defense. And without a defense, he got us to NFC Championship games. We cannot do the same thing to Love. Let's just let's just take a look at Jordan Love. Right for the first three years of that man's career, he was he was given the Aaron Rodgers treatment behind Aaron Rodgers, right? The successor to be people hating the draft pick, whatever. Now he finally is in his first year starter. He's handed the reins, and he's dealing with a thousand injuries. Campbell's comments last week, Jair this week. A completely inept defense. Like, what, what? What do you want the guy to do? Like, what? What? Uh, what aspect of karma did he upset 
to get this as his first year starter. But um, I agree. We cannot set love the same way up. And it wasn't supposed to be this year. Lord knows that. It was supposed to be different. But yet, here we are. Dan, bring Leonard in and he'd coordinate the D and special teams. So, okay. I, obviously the work that Jim Leonard did at Wisconsin is incredible. I understand fully why he more than likely turned down the floor and that he thought he was a shoe in for the Wisconsin job. And then of course that didn't go his way. So I guess I just have, I do not know the stories around Jim Leonard well enough to say for sure. I'm not sure anyone does, but I guess here's my two kind of concerns. One, why didn't he get the Wisconsin job? And two, why is it that with defensive openings and everything else, why are the Packers the only organization that Jim Leonard is ever tied to? Because I haven't heard about Jim Leonard taking up other defensive coordinator interviews around the league or anything like that. So that is at least a concern for me when discussing Jim Leonard. Why is he not in demand league-wide and only seemingly Green Bay? Is that just our own hometown biases? It's just, it's a thought. But I agree, he absolutely should be a candidate. And man, LaFleur did offer him the job once, so obviously did something right. Dougie Fresh, what's up, man? Are Packers equipped to make a Super Bowl appearance this year? Doug, no. <laughs> Not with the way the defense is, that's for sure. There was a brief glint of hope a little while back that said that they could go on a big run, and then the defense ultimately fell apart. The offense has continued to ascend, but the defense has basically gotten worse. I think the Packers... If the defense can fix itself, I'm not saying they were ever great, but if the defense can return to at least what they were five weeks ago, then the Packers can, one, make the playoffs, two, maybe eke out a first-round win. But realistically, if the Packers were to take on the 49ers, are you picking the Packers? Oh, I don't know anyone who would, right? If the Packers have to take on the Cowboys or the Eagles, I mean, Eagles, maybe just because they're sliding just like everybody else. But the Cowboy, I mean, the other major contenders in the NFC, probably not. However, I will give you this, Doug. If the offense continues to ascend as it is, and if the defense can fix itself to at least becoming league average next year, we may be cooking in 2024 and 2025. That I'll totally give you. Peter. Jair's suspension, hence Justin Jefferson's performance next Sunday, could prevent MLF from reaching the playoffs. Isn't that ironic? Yeah. You know, <laughs> the timing, really, in several ways, could not be worse. Jair finally comes back. Finally comes back after his long injury and then pulls this crap, right? I do think that it wasn't just the coin toss thing. Lafleur mentioned as much that... that uh, that this was a culmination of a lot of stuff going on with Jair. Okay, that means there's stuff going on we don't know about. But this was obviously the straw that broke the camel's back. And I will say too, discipline can't wait, right? If the Packers decided that this action, amongst others by Jair, dictated a one-game suspension to send a message to whatever, you couldn't just like bump that off. They couldn't announce today that he's going to be suspended for week 18 just so that he could face Jefferson, right? Like that's terrible leadership too. Discipline cannot wait. So I understand that they had to do it now. But yes, fully admit, the timing sucks a lot. He's going against Jefferson without him is not ideal. Dan, hey Dan, how you doing? Seems to me if we keep MLF, you're only going to have half a team. He's okay with the offense, but doesn't seem to care about the defense. 
Yeah, in some ways. That's the thing. I'm not sure that he knows exactly what kind of defense he wants. He is full, full-fledged. His entire coaching career has been on one side of the ball. He's an offensive guy through and through. And he does. He's arrived at the point. I certainly had my issues with him partway through the year, but he's arrived at a point where he predominantly is calling a good game for the offensive side of the ball. We also cannot deny how much Jordan Love has progressed and how the offense is beginning to sync up. Obviously very, very important. And it's like mostly his gig. But his evaluation of the defensive side of the ball is incredibly troublesome. His hiring of coordinators troublesome. What the Packers need is a defensive coordinator who is experienced enough. And that doesn't necessarily mean old, just means that they've done enough. And who's strong enough to independently run a side of the ball without needing to take Lafleur's attention, time, energy, devotion. Right. And so who are some of the guys that maybe could have done that? Well, Vic Fangio, he went he went down to Miami. Brian Flores probably could have been that guy. Right. And we see this all the time. Carolina is considering doing the exact same thing. Carolina, it was reported this week, is considering hanging on to Evero as they go get a young offensive coach to tutelage uh, Bryce Young. But they want that strong defensive leader to still be there, so it's stable. And Green Bay tried to do the same thing with Patton. And then, of course, that kind of fell apart. I still think we're in the mode of Lafleur needs a strong defensive counterpart who is experienced, who can advocate in the front office, who knows exactly what kind of defense he wants to run, how he wants to run it, how they're going to bring him in, et cetera, et cetera. And so if I were Green Bay, I'd be looking in that mold. And again, it doesn't even have to be a guy who's been a coordinator before. It doesn't have to be an old guy. But it does have to be someone who can be that guy in the coaching staff in front office. Uh, let me see here. Tyler. Tyler, another super chat. Dude, thank you. This really means the world, Tyler. Thank you. Goot loves blowing first-round picks on defense. Go trade for Mike Tomlin as the next DC. Rumor has that his time in Pittsburgh is nearing an end. Uh, okay, first of all, Mike Tomlin as defensive coordinator, home run hire of the century. Hell, go get Bill Belichick. I'd even be game for that yet, even as he's falling off. I'd still let him run the defense. The thing is, I'm just really hard-pressed to believe that Tomlin is, is actually going to leave Pittsburgh. Like, it's, I know that that's kind of the rumor mill that's beginning to churn, but I have a very hard time seeing that Pittsburgh is going to move on from Tomlin. But that's what I'm talking about. Someone like Tomlin, someone who's strong to come in and just be able to run the defense on their own and not have Lafleur have to cover for it all the time. Yeah, I'm I'm with that for sure. Big Al, I would say this near the end of Don Capers' years, the Packers didn't have talented defense compared to now Jabari have the players, and that's the problem. Yeah, right. Don Capers, like the talent. If you go back and look at Capers' final years and look at the starting rosters there, holy buckets! Like they were awful on the defensive side of the ball. And Capers was still trying to run these really complex schemes that he had run earlier, or during like closer to the Super Bowl when he had more vet players. He was still trying to run that with younger guys, less talented guys, and it was failing horrifically. And that was ultimately Capers' downfall. Well, now you've got all of the players in what is the most predictable defense in the NFL. Yeah, there were just metrics today that I saw. I didn't copy them over here, but like there were metrics today saying that the Green Bay Packers are the single most predictable defense in the NFL. 
it doesn't matter what players you have then if that's the case so it's like we got one we don't got the other uh fix it <laughs> and floor and goop that's gonna come down to you Mick, how many completions of the remaining games this year would earn Jordan Love a long-term contract in the offseason? Mick, I'm going to be totally honest. I think he's already there. Um, because uh, what we're coming up on, Love, Love quite possibly, if he holds to his averages over these final two games, is going to basically come close to a 4,000-yard, 30-touchdown season with like 11 picks, maybe 12, something like that. Like He's in that ballpark. Uh, he's already there. I am. He cannot sign a contract extension until May. Because they didn't pick up his fifth-year option last year. It was an extension that they did. And there's NFL rules about size of contracts and how long you have to wait before you can sign a new extension and all that kind of crap. So the way that the Packers did it is you have to wait 365 days from his last extension. I think when that 365 days is up, I think he's getting that new contract. I think he's already there, Mick. Peter, uh, MLF is often said to belong to the same coaching school that Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay, and Mike McDaniels. But contrary to all three of them, MLF is way too soft and conservative. Well, yeah, he comes from the same uh, offensive scheme, the whole uh, offensive world as those guys. Yes, definitely. Um, and we do see that in his offensive play calling. It, it's there. He's more McVay than he is Shanahan. But yeah, it's it's there for sure. And that realistically is what keeps LeFour, at least from my perspective, comfortable in his job security, the development of the offense this year, how good it's looking at times. Compared to, I will say, compared to Shanahan and McVay, yeah, LeFleur is conservative, less decisive than those guys. I agree. I think LeFleur believes in his guys to a fault. I don't think it's that the Fleur is sitting there being too cowardly to fire somebody. I think the Fleur believes in his guy so much that he believes that they can change, that they can improve, that they can adapt far greater than their abilities actually say that they can. And that is what I think is truly the downfall of, of Matt LaFleur. Steve, you doing a live show Sunday night? I am, Steve. Um, in fact, a couple little uh, changes. So uh, today, live show. Tomorrow, I'm going to put out a bonus episode tomorrow. I did an appearance for Bleach Report yesterday where I went over 10 candidates for next year's defensive coordinator job. I've got all the research for that priority. I'm going to drop that. I'm going to put that. I'm going to redo it, re-record it, edit it. The whole deal. Put that out on the YouTube channel tomorrow. That's going to drop sometime as I shuffle around my life. And then Friday is going to be the pregame show for Packers versus Vikings. Sunday, then New Year's Eve. Watch party. Me and Claudia will be here for the whole game. You bet, Steve. We'll be here. And then Big Al saying Wade Phillips for DC. Probably not, Big Al. I do believe he's a little, little older than what we might be seeing. But be on the lookout for that video tomorrow. I mean it. Everybody out there, be on that lookout for the video tomorrow. I've got a couple... Um, Kind of old heads on the list, like a Wade Phillips. Got a couple of guys who've never been coordinators before. Um, got a couple of guys who maybe are easy to think of candidates, etc. But uh, Wade Phillips not on the list, but plenty of other dudes are. Uh, let's see, just a couple more before I got to jump. Mick saying, will the special teams coordinator decide to retire because that job is not fun? No freaking kidding. And he's not doing amazing at it right now. But is he going to retire? I doubt it. I haven't heard anything in that vein. And last year, he just took a head coaching interview with the Colts. He doesn't seem to be slowing down at all. 
Miserable goat. So the Vikings QB should get 380 plus three touchdowns to their defense bike. Man, they don't even know who's starting a quarterback for them on Sunday, but yeah, probably. Uh, and then Peter Al Harris for DC, please. Hey, he's on the list, but you know what? I will say too, it's not just Al Harris. How about Al Harris's boss, who's got a lot of connections to Green Bay? Um, because I feel like if you're going to give a whole bunch of credit to Al Harris for coaching up the DBs in Dallas, you better give some credit to his boss, who's the passing game coordinator. Just saying. And then Griffin, JRCTE, catching up to him. Oh, man, he's getting weirder. <laughs> I will say that shoulder injury from 2021, um, I know he, like, it's a new injury this year, but ever since he took that first injury, he's not the same dude. It's uh, not good. Not good. So, all right, everybody, time for me to get on out of here. Thank you, Tyler, for the Super Chats means the world. Thank you to everybody for tuning in. Like I said, tomorrow, sometime tomorrow, I'll be dropping a video on 10 candidates, maybe it'll end up being 12, that we can look at for the 2024 defensive coordinator position, assuming the Packers do move in. Friday is going to be the game preview for Packers versus Vikes. And then Sunday night, New Year's Eve, watch party. Me and Claudia will be here watching Packers versus Vikings. Thanks so much, everybody. Hope you're having a great day. Hope you had a very Merry Christmas or at least a holiday, whatever you did. Hope it was what you needed to be. Hope you were very, very happy. Thanks so much for being here. And as always, go Pack Go.